I would say, you know, as someone that is looking at how could I do more, it's really about putting aside the differences that feel like they're so big in the world right now, and instead just focusing on human interaction. Welcome to our latest episode of the Good and Grounded podcast, a discussion with some passionate leaders who are working to solve some of our most challenging issues facing our community today. April is Child Abuse Prevention Month, and today we are joined by two leaders who have dedicated their lives to protecting some of our most at-risk and vulnerable children and families. Jade Woodard has led Illuminate Colorado since its inception in 2015. Prior to that, she ran the Colorado Alliance for Drug-Endangered Children. Her bio is so long that I probably don't have time on this podcast to share it, but she has a wealth of information. We are also fortunate to have Margaret Ochoa, a mother of three, one of the chairs of the Colorado Child Sexual Abuse Prevention Coalition and the Child Sexual Abuse Prevention Specialist at the Colorado Department of Public Safety. Thank you both for joining us. So approximately, and I may have the numbers wrong, but one in 10 kiddos and specifically one in seven females will be sexually abused before they are adults. And it's hard to like wrap my head around that statistic. I can't imagine looking in a room knowing that one out of every 10 people in that room is facing a major public health concern. So Jade, I just have to ask you, like, what will it take for our state leadership to address this, both financially and then certainly from a critical support and infrastructure standpoint? Absolutely. Uh, those, those figures are devastating. To truly imagine what that means and the trauma that, is, that has been inflicted on, on such a large portion of our, of our young children and, and families, it's devastating. We need to remember that it's an adult's responsibility to protect children and that in order to change this, adults must take action. Adults must learn to recognize the, the warning signs. They must learn how to intervene. They must be comfortable with teaching. They must be comfortable with reporting. And truly, adults are where we will see the solutions here. We must support children in understanding what's going on with their body and what's um, how to respond to what makes them uncomfortable in interactions. But again, adults are the one that are at the kind of core of that. We teach our children not to hit. We teach them not to hurt other kids. We teach our children lots of things. And we need to teach them about privacy and boundaries and their body as well. So our state needs to invest. We need to invest in ensuring that we have an infrastructure, that we have a system by which adults can learn this information and can access it. I'm so glad you mentioned that about the adult responsibility because so many people think that they need to be reactive when we need to be proactive. Margaret, you're a mom and I read some of your information, the things that you had written, I think with Illuminate as a partner with Illuminate and I'm a mom of three as well. And you, I, I can imagine that working in this field of sexual assault prevention can make for a pretty interesting parenting journey. And, oh, and indeed. I, uh, yeah. I read that um, when your babies were babies, you added some anatomically correct body parts to your sing-along songs, like head, shoulder, penis, knees, and toes. And I'm yes. sure 
I'm sure that adding penis to a children's song, maybe whenever like a lead balloon for some, but but you had your reasons. Right. It, we have access to so much great research that tells us that using anatomically correct language with infants and toddlers, so I'm talking even pre-verbal, um, it's important to expose little ones to this language for a lot of reasons. One, um, sex offenders tell us that it's a screening mechanism for them, that they target children who don't use anatomically correct language. And the reason is because child sexual abuse is so unique as a crime of secrecy. Um, if an offender learns that a child can accurately testify against them, um, that's one deterrent. If they know that um, a child has been taught anatomically correct um, language, then with respect to their private body parts, then they know uh, a loving adult has open communication with that child, and that child would likely tell that trusted adult. So it's there are just so many good reasons. Um, in addition to the fact that we know that um, using this language instills body confidence, it um, helps children with issue, um, understand issues with respect to consent, bodily autonomy, boundary setting. It just opens up an entire conversation that kids can't have if they're deprived of that information. I think that's so interesting. And Jade, I was reading Illuminate had conducted some research, and I, I think in it that you found that less than half of Colorado parents say they typically use these anatomically correct terms that Margaret's speaking of. But when someone tells them that terms like vagina and penis can actually prevent child sexual abuse, I think more than 70% of parents said they would definitely consider using those words. Absolutely. I think um, sexuality, sexual development, physical development, body, you know, what's happening is just a part of normal development. However, it's a part of development that as parents, we don't always know how to talk about. And I think the better that parents are, or the more comfortable that parents are in having those conversations around what is natural, what is occurring in your body, the more that children feel able to you know, make those, make those decisions and talk about what's going on with them and to really make their choices and to work with their partners and their peers around kind of how to move forward with their development. I think as we, as parents, as we are able to instill in our children the language and the awareness of what's happening and able to understand when that, how to recognize within their own selves when they are comfortable with something or when they are not comfortable with something, the more that we are setting them up to have a more full, complete picture of their development and their identity and what comes next for them. And really that's what this is about, is it's about you know providing children with a complete picture of what is happening within their body. And so using anatomically correct terms that helps kids to be able to understand that there is something changing in their body or there's something changing in their way that they feel about their body, that's all just part of development. Mm -hmm. No, absolutely. So you have a big event at the Capitol on April 1st. Tell me what you hope to, what message you hope to share on April 1st. 
Yeah, so this year for Child Abuse Prevention Month, we're really focusing on those concrete supports that all families need to be well. So um, at our, our rally, it'll be the first time we're back together in person since 2019, I believe. And we'll, we will really be highlighting what our state is doing to increase family security, to increase access to what families need. So we'll be talking about some pieces of legislation that have changed. We'll be talking about some community resources that families have accessed and really working to continue to reduce stigma around supports and connection. So that'll be this year, uh, we'll be promoting our pinwheels and giving out pinwheels for prevention, which is really the sign of, of the carefree and happy childhood that we want for all children. And we'll be encouraging folks to join the campaign, to share those positive messages, to reach out and connect with neighbors or community members, really to just have that positive message and that positive connection. So as parents, neighbors, coworkers, what are some of the signs that we can look for for child abuse or neglect, Margaret? Yeah, so there are going to be different uh, delineations depending on the type of abuse, um, but there are some hallmarks and I'll, I'll just start with physical abuse. Um, wherever the, uh, the injury does not appear to comport with the child or the parent's explanation for how the injury occurred, um, that is an indicator. Pattern bruising and bruising in various stages of healing can also be indicators. Now, I'm certainly not indicating that these are, um, that these are absolutely what you're going to see or that any of these indicators might be explainable in other um, accidental ways. For example, kids that are athletes are going to have bruising in different stages of healing, and anybody that has parented has seen that. With respect to child sexual abuse, um, it, it, it can be the most difficult one to define because, as we mentioned, it's a crime of secrecy. But one of the things that is common in child sexual abuse victims is uh, the common indicators of trauma manifest themselves. So children could begin to regress um, in their development. They could um, suddenly start having trouble with bedwetting and night soiling. They could um, have extreme mood changes. They could um, become hostile or withdrawn or um, just something that seems off from their baseline. And um, not all children are going to show these indicators, um, but it's really tough to identify child sexual abuse from physical evidence. There's only physical evidence in about 10% of um, cases of child sexual abuse where there's verifiable evidence of penetration. So it's just not something that we see. So we have to watch for the behavior of children. And um, with respect to emotional abuse and neglect, we're also going to see those telltales of trauma. And uh, with neglect, we may see children wearing clothing that doesn't seem to comport with the weather. Um, maybe they are wearing long sleeves and a turtleneck on a very hot summer day. And that could be an indicator that they're covering marks. It could be that uh, a child's begging for food. We could have kids that are wearing soiled clothing, um, clothing that, that doesn't smell good. Could be an indicator that their household is not in good shape. So all of these things, um, and I do want to differentiate, by the way, between neglect and poverty because they are not the same thing. And a child might only have one set of clothing that they wear to school every day, for example, 
But if that clothing is um, appropriate for the weather and is clean and well-kept, that is not neglect. So, um, and those of us that have raised kids in Colorado understand that some of them want to stand out at the bus stop wearing shorts. But if they don't have any other clothing, then that's a different issue. No, I appreciate the difference in that. Thank you. And these are just difficult topics, but I appreciate you outlining that. I think it's really helpful. And Jade, for those that may identify something or suspect, and they want to be a part of the solution, what do they do with that information? So there's a couple of different pathways. Um, the first is anyone that suspects child abuse or neglect, we encourage to call one 844 co kids which is our state's child abuse hotline, to report those concerns. However, we would also encourage uh, community members to offer other support and resources. Um, so there are lots of ways to do that. That can include, you know, information around the local family resource center, or that can include information around um, the local food bank. That can include lots of different pathways that are really just supportive of kind of families. That said, when we're talking about something like um, child sexual abuse, we also really encourage other adults to be protective, to pay attention, to limit one-on-one -on -one time. Um, so, you know, conversations around if, if you have reason to believe that a child is being, you know, or that your child is at risk for sexual abuse or that a child is being sexually abused, really thinking about what can be done to minimize opportunity. I would say, you know, as someone that is looking at, you know, how could I do more? It's really about connecting. It's really about kind of putting aside the differences that feel like they're so big in the world right now. And instead just focusing on true human interaction and heart connection to another person in the world to be there and be supportive. That's great. So we always like to leave our listeners with a way they can get involved if they want to do more or give more, donate more. How would they best go about that? So for Child Abuse Prevention Month, we would absolutely send people to copinwheelsforprevention.org to learn about the campaign, to get involved, uh, to plant a, a virtual or a real pinwheel in honor of a child in your life. We would also encourage folks to learn more about Illuminate Colorado, to learn more about different training opportunities that exist, um, and to you know start to avail themselves of some of the resources that are in our communities. Well, thank you both for all that you do and give and the knowledge that you've shared not only today, but I'm sure every single day of your life. Our kids are much better for it. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks, Laura. Child abuse is certainly not an easy topic to discuss, but I'm so grateful for the expertise that Jade and Margaret brought to us. If you are interested in officially launching National Child Abuse Prevention Month here in Colorado, I encourage you to join a group of incredible individuals on the west steps of the Capitol at 11 in the morning on April 1st. Make sure you wear blue and show your support for what we can all do as a community to help prevent child abuse and neglect. Thank you for joining us. If you have any recommendations for other incredible leaders here in Colorado, be sure to drop us an email at podcast at groundfloormedia.com and we will get back in touch with you. Thanks again.